0: This is The Coolest Show brought to you by hip hop caucuses. Think 100%. It's
1: the coolest show, you know, keep the culture connected. It's the coolest show, you know. In your ear, yeah, respect it. Expert level information, entertainment, education. Rev here, we got you covered as you hit your destination. Climate rules everything around me. crazy For those who lost, smoke, just close your eyes and just train. Open your third eye, now the world is your off. Coolest, coolest
0: show, you know. It's the hip hop call.
2: Hello, and welcome to The Coolest Show. My name is Tamara Tolles O'Loughlin, and I am clearly not Reverend Lennox Yearwood. Welcome to today's show. Uh, we have an incredible set of guests, but before we get into that, I'll talk a little bit about why we've asked them to join us today on this special episode. As the world watches, the climate crisis overtakes every conversation we have about energy, economics, employment, and everything. This work is in fact for everyone and the stakes couldn't be higher because tomorrow is already in the making. The collapse of the Silicon Valley bank and others send signals of a poison politic that has made the ultra rich sympathetic and costs too damn high for the rest of us in the commons. The dollars overwhelm our senses, our structure and our social fabric and our systems need an overhaul in favor of rebuilding the people's trust. Now is a time for us to call for accountability an accountability that looks at deeper investment in community design and self-determination and divests from dirty pollution that makes winners and losers. The mud of the cloud of old is keeping us from seeing the future. Here's where we get clear. And in that spirit, we're bringing together some of the brightest minds on climate, finance, and futures to examine the latest news in banking busts to make it real for the culture. Welcome to our guests. Marilyn Waite leads us from the Climate Finance Fund on mobilizing capital for climate solutions. Her thought leadership has appeared in numerous media outlets, to name a few, the Financial Times, Forbes, and Greenbiz, where she served as editor at large. Marilyn lends her talents to a number of board and investment committees that might take up the space of this podcast if I started to list them. Crystal Hansley is the founder of We Solar. She's an entrepreneur and a soulful advocate for the use of solar power to help hard-working families reduce monthly expenses. So right where your pocket is, that's where Crystal is trying to save you some money. She's the United States first and African-American female CEO in the community solar industry and serves on the board of directors at the American Council on Renewable Energy. And she's also from Brooklyn. So you heard it here first. Stefan Coward is a co-founder of Bank Black USA and the economic justice justice paid in full, Eric B and Rakim reference, Uh, campaigns director here at the hip hop Caucus. I'm gonna say that again for the folks in the black, justice paid in full. Uh, He's worked on banking industry issues for the last two decades and has spent that time as an economic empowerment advocate for underserved communities, which is largely everyone. So that's a big job. So I wanna thank you all for joining us today and welcome you I'm going to ask uh, some questions so that, the group, so that our audience will get to know you and so that they'll come to value the way we do. So I'll start off and ask a question to the whole group. So we're in a moment where the news is bringing everyday information that makes us feel nervous, that tells us we need to panic, and in some cases that panic should look like moving this and doing that. I'm going to ask each of you, starting with Crystal, to tell us about who are the folks that you serve and who is your community?
1: Um, Thanks for having me, Tamara, and um, welcome Stefan and Marilyn fellow panelists. Um, Really glad to be here in the Hip Hop Caucus and to talk about um, climate tech investment and what's happening with the collapse of SVB and other banks. Um, We Solar is a community solar development company launched out of Baltimore, Maryland in 2020. Our community is every single household that typically do not have access to renewable solar. Um, Only 20 percent of Americans actually have access to rooftop solar. And so in a community solar model. We're able to scale that and reach households that are left behind, but also get hit with the brunt of climate change. And so, we also work with institutional um, partners and nonprofits that are looking to leverage their buying power and also tap into the just transition. Um,
2: so, I'm glad to to be here today. Marilyn, can you tell us about your work and how it serves people and planet? Who's your community?
3: Thank you, Tamara, for having me on the show today. So. I'm leading the Climate Finance Fund and my community is really the full supply chain of capital allocators, which means every single person on earth, we're all a part of uh, the capital supply chain. We all um, spend money, have money in bank accounts, hopefully have retirement savings and so on. So the consumer level, retail level, the small and medium sized enterprise level the large non-financial companies, also the banks and asset managers themselves, they're all a part of that community. And I would say there's two ways of really having a a lens around that. One is through um, those capital allocators themselves and the other is through the financial regulators. So those that are responsible for setting the market rules and the market itself. The other important thing I would mention is that, you know, capital is organized according to risk and return and deal size preferences and all of the rest. And so there are three pools of capital that we focus on, venture capital being one of them, asset management being another, which is mostly around the capital market. So bonds and stocks. And lastly, and most importantly, bank lending and credit. So everyone involved in any part of that, which is essentially all of us, as I mentioned, is a part of my community. Thank you so much. Stefan, I'm going to ask you to talk to us about who is your community
2: and how does that work, serve people and planet?
0: I appreciate that. So thank you for allowing me to be in this space with you all. I'll start off by sharing who my community is. My community is people who are trying to survive in a financial system that was not here, meant to benefit us all or uplift us. That's my community. That's my tribe. Um, So and so my every day that I'm here working to be able to uplift them. And as the economic justice director here, we're advocating for an economy that works for everyone promoting divest and invest strategies, pulling money out of industries that harm our communities and investing in economically and socially, environmentally powering solutions. Um, at Hip Hop Caucus, I lead a campaign called Bank Black and Green, and the whole purpose of that is a multi-year campaign that encourages Black-owned banks to sign a pledge to commit against the funding of the fossil fuel industry and mass incarceration and redeploy that capital into frontline communities of color, getting impact investors to be able to shift the flow of resources to these financial institutions. When, that's what I talk about at my community. I'm a community part of a community of financial activists trying to do the hard work, the labor to shift that flow of capital from the extractive to the regenerative economy that we all see through that framework of a just transition. And as a researcher through Bank Black USA, the last six years ago that we founded, we were creating resources that are easily digestible. So those who want to be able to support the remaining Black-owned institutions, they have a way to do so and understand who they are and the impact that they have in our community.
2: Fantastic. Crystal, I'm going to pop up and ask you, what is your vision for success? Because we're about to start talking about a hot topic, but I mm-hmm. really feel like it's important for people to understand how the kaleidoscope of things each of our guests represent really is a place where, you know, my heart is, where there are Black people in the future. So, what are the people in your vision doing? What are they accomplishing? And by when, Crystal?
1: Yes. um, So I would say my vision for success is not being the only Black development company in a lot of these spaces. When I attend Arif Plus, and last year it was about 20,000 people um, in the largest solar conference, I can count on my hand how many people of color. And so I think that just the diversity in the market um, in another five, 10 years from now, has already proven when there's a more diverse board or more diverse folks in your workplace that the returns and risks that the returns are higher and the risks are decreased, and sure. so I think that's one solution. And also, obviously, the in, the investments in to clean tech into minority owned businesses, um, like WeSolar, Solar, I would like to see that um, scale rapidly, um, and also the investments <clears throat> from the VCs into clean tech. Um, Last year, there was over $105 billion, the largest in private capital to go into US clean assets. And then we also passed the historic um, Inflation Reduction Act of over close to 300 billion. And with Justice40, we have some framework, but I think that with a lot of um, folks with their hands in a cookie jar, they're already maneuvering at the federal state and local levels to box us out. And so even though there's two prongs where there's really ambitious agendas, but then you also have the greed and the historic capitalist that's always trying to just like undercut the exact same efforts. So success is obviously just building more green, successful businesses of folks that look like me and you and that's serving our community and actual investments trickle down or just come directly to us. Um, therefore just cutting out the middle players. Um, so yeah, that's just some versions of success.
2: So I'm hearing from you that we want to do better business with more people. Fantastic. Exactly. Marilyn, can you talk to us about your vision of success? Who accomplishes it? And by when, if you have an idea. So I'll take the by
3: when. By yesterday,
2: <laughs>
3: by yesterday, you know, I'm not going to go with the 2050 goal, which <laughs> is very arbitrary. Right. Um, and really the vision is each person aligns their capital with what's good for people and planet full on ESG. So environmental, social, good governance. And that means that first step is the awareness that if you have only one dollar in a bank account, you are already an investor. That's right. And so, making sure that one dollar, those millions, those trillions, all of it is aligned with people and planet works for decarbonizing, works for putting in all of the solutions to climate change into our other challenges, and does not do us harm, that we can actually stop investing in our own harm.
2: Thank you. Incredible.
3: Stefan, to you.
2: What is your vision? Who's in it? And when are we getting it up?
0: My my vision is living in a way and people and businesses living in a way that does not compromise the ability of the next generation to be able to do the same. That that's my vision. Um holding corporations responsible and not letting them feel comfortable creating statements of platitudes. Uh, Also leaving personally, personally, like leaving this world in a better place than I inherited that, that, that that's my vision. That's my goal.
2: Fantastic. Well, we brought you all together, not just because you're brilliant, which is my favorite reason to bring people together, but also because the news is full of headlines about Silicon Valley Bank, Signature Bank, First Republic, Credit Suisse. If you know anything about any of these banks, it's been a tough week for you. Maybe a tough month, honestly. Can I ask um, each of you, and we'll, I'll ask you from the perspective of where you sit, uh, what you want the audience to understand about what happened at Signature Bank? What happened at SVB? And I'll ask Marilyn to kick us off. I knew
3: I was going first. Okay. (laughs) So I've mostly been tracking SVB, Silicon Valley Bank, and I think there are lessons and insights for all of the other examples. So there are two big things that I want to point out here um, in terms of what we're dealing with and how we got here. One is that um, Silicon Valley Bank has or had... Uh, depending on how you look at it, an extremely concentrated clientele um, of startups and their venture capital backers, right? So it did not really diversify that base. And one of the one-on-ones you know, of good asset management, good banking, maybe life lesson in general is don't put all your eggs in one basket, right? So diversification is, is key. And um, one of the, the keys that we've learned in, in the past few decades is that having a retail client base, meaning everyday people, is important for survival. Remember in the 08, 09 crisis, it was the retail bank, along with our taxpayer money, that bailed out the investment bank. It wasn't the other way around. So it's always the people. Like it starts with us, it finishes with us. We are the core. And so Silicon Valley Bank did not uh, expand more into that retail sector, whereas you have a lot of other banks that that have a core, and that's that's relevant because when it comes to various risks, um, including the run on the bank uh, risk, retail clients are much less likely to um, to be scattered and to to do you know run on run on banks. Um, so, so that's, that's really important to, to understand, um, and that's why we spend so much of our time on retail banking. The second um, important thing that I want to point out, um, and that's going to take a little bit of time, so bear with me, is um, around this whole idea of interest rate risk in our current high interest rate environment. Um, Along with the fact that Silicon Valley Bank for many months in 2022 went without a chief risk officer, of which, you know, part of that person's job is to look at risk like interest rate risk. Um, The stress test from the Fed, so the Fed being the central bank of the United States. So it's the nation's bank, right? The country's bank is the Federal Reserve. Um, We already have a national bank if if uh, if others. ask, oh, why don't we create a national bank? Well, we have one, it's called the Federal Reserve. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So they they require stress tests uh, of banks. And in 2022, that was assessing how banks would perform at interest rates between zero and 2%, as if we weren't going to go above 2%. Well, it should have been maybe between zero and 7%, right? Uh, or even higher. That would have been a more appropriate stress test. And so most banks would pass that stress test if if it's only at two percent. Well, we know there's extremely high um, interest rates when you look at the past few um, few years since the since the financial crisis, and so there is a failure in that stress testing process, which is tied to the interest rate. So let me dive a little deeper because I think it's super important. Remember that to, understand the health of a company, the financial health of a company, there are three main financial statements that one should look at. One is the cash flow statement. Cash is king, as we say. Do you have the second, a- <laughs> the second is the income statement, profit and loss. Um, is there anything left over after you paid your expenses? Right? What's the profit and loss? And the third, which I want to zoom in on, is the balance sheet. So that's the assets and liabilities. Assets minus your liabilities is going to be your net worth, otherwise known as shareholder equity. Okay, so the balance sheet, uh, within the balance sheet is a key metric. It's called net interest margin. Now, let's say that net interest, inter- net interest margin uh, is normally around 3%, or that's considered to be normal. Silicon Valley Bank was at 1.98% net interest margin. So it was much lower. Um, This metric is essentially the difference between what the bank earns on its assets and the cost of the funds, right? So it's, it's, it's a really important metric and SVB's metric or indicator was too low this um, net interest margin can decrease in this higher rate environment. So the cost of keeping consumers or customers or clients, those that are depositing their money with your bank, um, is higher. And because U.S. treasuries are paying more. So if you want to keep those customers with you, you have to match that, that new interest rate environment. Um, well, it turns out that Silicon Valley Bank's bond portfolio, which is you know dated, was paying them less than 2%. And let's say they had to, you know, pay out 5%. So, I mean, that's basic math, that's a loss. And, and that's where the loss came in. So those two things, lack of diversification of the client base and the approach of that, cal, you know, client base to capital and to banking, <laughs> coupled with this interest rate, lack of risk management around that um, is the other biggest thing that I really want to point out here because, it's not as if Silicon Valley Bank is the only bank that is in that situation, especially for the latter around how to manage in this high um, interest rate environment. So Marilyn, just for the people in the back and on the sides, I want to lift
2: up. They did bad business because it cost too much and it didn't respond to the times we're in. Yes. They did bad business
3: because it cost too much.
2: They spent. Is that what you said? They put out too much money to do not enough business.
3: I would say um, they made bets and their underlying business was based on a low interest rate environment. And we're now in a high interest rate environment. So um, their assumptions were not valid and they did not diversify enough to account for changes in the marketplace, including a fed that would continually raise interest rates and rapidly do so. So, and so back
2: in the, in the middle of some bank or in every bank, there's somebody who's supposed to be pardon my expression, reading the tea leaves mm-hmm. Not doing mm-hmm. it. and as the 16th largest bank in the United States, like poorly timing your investments, having a faulty risk strategy and tying up a bunch of people's money during the period when other things are moving around, that they can make more money doing, kind right. you bait—that's what they would say
3: on my street. Right.
2: Vulnerable. Yep. Okay. Awesome. Just wanted to make sure we're not losing any of the brilliant people on this podcast who may have been uh, kept out of a conversation around money, which is most people. So, <laughs> so right. I'm feeling really good about it, but can you say a little bit about? Is this a normalized situation? Is what happened or what's happening here, what's unfolding here, something that every other bank is going through? Is this a special case or is it? Yeah, because I think people who are at home trying to figure out what to do with their retirement are thinking about this question.
3: Okay, so I guess good news and bad news, Um, maybe the bad news first. So the, the FDIC, that's the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, that's the government entity or regulator that insures bank deposits. Now, we also have other um, banking regulators in the, in the US. Um, federal Reserve is one being the central bank. Um, the NCUA is one. That's the federal insurer of credit unions. They're the same kind of insurance process for a credit union and a bank. A credit union being, of course, a cooperatively managed bank. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's the OCC as well, um, the Office of the, Com- the Comptroller Controller of the Currency. Um, so focusing on just some FDIC data, so the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation data, um, there's about well, there's over 600 billion of unrealized losses um, right now on securities um, and the capital banks in the U.S. So there, it's not as if everything is there, there's no losses in the system anywhere else that that would be not accurate if I told you that, uh, we have, we have the data there. There is a lot of reporting around what's happening. A lot of this was sparked right by the reporting. Um, and so of that, and then the perceptions of what would happen, uh, with, with, uh, uh, realizing losses, right. At, at Silicon Valley bank. So, so that's kind of the, the reality of, of the situation. Mm. Um, and, we, we have data here and I would love for Stefan to come in because we know that there are over 5,000 banks in the country. There are over 5,000 credit unions in the country. There are over a thousand community development financial institutions in the country. There are over a hundred or just under 200 minority depository institutions. There are, you know, there, there's this whole landscape of depository institutions. And we know that the community-focused ones have great track records. That's what's brilliant about this. The ones that actually have ESG in their DNA, so those that are incorporating a lens of environmental protection, social responsibility, social equity, and good governance, actually have really good metrics. Now, what they don't have is the public support. What they don't have is a lot of our own deposits coming in. So I think now is actually an opportunity for us to wake up and start to move our assets in a responsible way, meaning, once again, diversifying, but into these community-focused lenders, whether they're credit unions or banks, um, whether they are minority depositor institutions, so depository institutions being credit unions or banks that are led by people of color.
2: Yes, it's more likely that you'll find someone at that bank bringing their money in a paper bag. 'Cause they, you know, make bagels or sell coffee or any other thing. And so they're actually showing up to the bank and making deposits every day, even though to be fair, the halal guy now has chip. So like, you know,
3: <laughs> it's not as brown bag as well, it be But when you think about it, that's the visual in your mind. You make a you make a good point in that we also call these banks real economy banks. That's right. They are not Fiddling with derivatives or other financial instruments that are far removed from the actual real economy. And that's where actually the missions are taking place when we think about climate change and other forms of pollution. These are the banks and credit unions that are core. And this is, I think, where we need to help diversify and bring in public budget to these banks, bring in our deposits to these banks, all bank and credit union deposits are insured for each account for 250K um, USD. And there are programs um, that allow you to insure a lot more within a single institution, right? Within a single account. Um, There's something called CDARS, which actually has a new name now. but traditionally a cdrs uh, which allows uh, essentially for you to keep all your money in one place and then that entity that bank or credit union will uh, place uh, capital with other you know peer institutions so that it's a 100% insured. Thank you for that. Stefan, I'm going to ask you to help us step back a minute
2: cuz I want to make sure everyone in the room is in the conversation. Can you talk to us a little bit there were some words that Marilyn used around bank runs. Can you talk to us about what a bank run is? Uh, why some of what Marilyn was saying about the kinds of bank, the kinds of banks that are currently experiencing a crisis, are pretty atypical of the banks most people do their business with on an average day. Can you say something a little bit about that before we go? Over? Yep.
0: Yeah, like you know when I she's, Marilyn said it perfectly, right? So like uh, when I go back to the timeline of like what happened, you had over forty two billion dollars withdrawn from this. SBB in a single day, like and and well, so what that's saying is that's this bank run. So multiple people coming in at the same time around the same time, pulling out all of their funds from this financial institution. With and I think that this may be general knowledge. We put our money in the bank, and that bank takes that money and lends it out to different areas. So are they put our money
2: to work? I just want to say I don't know that everybody knows that. While you were sleeping, what did the kids say? Now the bank's playing in your face. Like they <laughs> yes, they got your money out on the street while you're taking a nap. Go on, Stefan. I just wanted to make sure people really understood that that your bank money, your bank is not hanging out with your money, waiting for you to come back and get it.
0: So to that point, you you have the bank lending the, the, your your money out, and then. Everybody's coming in like, I need to cash my check. And they're like, well, wait a minute. I don't I don't have all your funds right now. So so therefore you're having this loss and then people are having to step in. Um, one of the things that I wanted to add to this conversation is that also what like what I think of is the fact that this power of speculation, the and influence of the few to be able to affect the livelihood of the many right uh like when we we think about the financial markets a lot of this is built on what do we think what do the few think of how the economy should be and the impact of it and the power that resides in a group of people that don't typically look like us to be able to decide where the future goes right and so I wanted to add that in and then 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 do this deep dive into, what these, these minority depository institutions are. And just for every, like for the group, I just wanted to explain what does a MDI minority depository institution is. It's a financial institution to where over fifty one percent of the stockholder members or the people on the board of the directors or of a of a minority group, right? So when we they look like you exactly they look exactly. And so like drilling down more specifically we are talking about the work that I do is like to uplift these black owned banks. And so black owned banks is where the majority of the leadership looks like you. And like like Maryland said there's over 5 like over 5000 financial institutions in this country. And as of today there's barely 20 of them that are owned and look like us. And so like let, and 20 of them Yes, when you like, you're like, wow, 20 of them. But let me share this. In 2000, there was over 50 Black-owned banks in this country. So we have taken a drop in the financial institutions who serve us. And so there's less than 1% of banks in this country who look like us. And so why that's so important is that, let me just say this, the Black-owned banks that we have in our country And minority owned banks that we have in our country, there's there's a there's a disparity between those in the in the big um, financial institutions that are across this country who we know have had histories of perpetuating industries that harm us, like financing the fossil fuels, financing of mass incarceration, Um, the big four. They have over $2 trillion in assets under management. That means that they have the capital to be able to redeploy into resources, technology, different things like that, to be able to give them the competitive advantage in
2: the society. Also, firearms, tobacco, uh, illegal activity, uh, and things that destroy the culture. Absolutely.
0: And when we look at our our remaining Black-owned financial institutions, like I said, there's less than 18 of them. And nobody, there's... Rarely any that even hit the billion dollar mark. So you think of the billion dollars to two trillion dollars, right? That's a gulf. And then so why do we need these financial institutions? We're thinking about like minority depository institutions, especially black owned banks. They've stepped into where the big banks have divested from. Mm -hmm. Like these larger institutions have divested from our communities to provide that source of local economic support that our communities, people like us, benefit from, you know, these, these banks are lending out disproportionately higher. These black owned banks and minority owned banks are lending disproportionately higher than the larger mega banks and providing loans, um, to homeowners, small businesses, churches, they, they, they are standing in places that have been deemed as banking deserts. So what So and, and, and let me just say this with, for everybody, what a banking desert is. That is a community in which there are not any financial service providers that are that, for you to be able to utilize. And it's, it's full of people who are predatory lenders, the payday loan centers, the check cashing places, the pawn shops. That's, that's what's filling up these communities where the banks have divested from because they have not deemed this neighborhood profitable. They put a dollar amount on you.
2: And I'll just say, if you overlay that with a map of trash food, uh, a lack of access to other to national park systems, you end up seeing a really important set of facts around why our communities are divested from at multiple levels simultaneously. I'm going to ask Crystal a question and just flag that. I think Stefan and Marilyn have really given us the macro and the micro view of how this moment is actually one where... We're not stuck with headlines. We have options. We have choices. And we also have the choice to avoid panic. Can you talk to folks about why they shouldn't panic? How does what has happened in Silicon Valley affect you, the visionary work that you're doing, and what does it say about the future we could build?
1: um, I think for me to really paint a picture, um, I'm going to touch on what Marilyn said, Stefan said, and also bring it back to like community solar and how that actually Uh, directly impacts our community. So when you really, I would argue that uh, Silicon Valley Bank got it right when it comes to just my sliver of the vertical of solar, which is community solar. Um, For all of the listeners, community solar is a vertical within the solar space that allow virtual credits, solar credits to be applied to any household that has community solar. So there's about 22 states that have a version of community solar. So let's just back out to what the demographics of solar looks like. So solar, 90% of the solar industry um, is operated and owned by white men. Within solar, you have community solar as a new budding vertical, and it's 90% operated and owned by white men. Silicon Valley Bank financed. of community solar projects. With We Solar being the first Black woman in the community solar space, there's an issue of diversification when it comes to who are actually financing community solar. So community solar is, uh, I think, one of the most important climate tech products um, for environmental justice And solving energy burden, energy insecurity, as well as creating economics and green jobs in our communities, but it's being overlooked, right? So if one bank is directly financing the majority of our sector, if that bank didn't exist, then my sector wouldn't exist. Therefore, I wouldn't exist because I came in through, my background is Uh, doing the acquisition and the management and the selling of the community solar subscriptions initially. So majority of those farms were financed through, I'm just guessing just by statistics through Silicon Valley Bank in some way or the other. And so there's just a lot of opportunity for one is signaling to um, just the financial markets, the capital markets and VCs as well as CDFIs Hey, there's climate tech, right? Solar is a proven technology. Americans are realizing that climate change is coming at us fast and quick and it is at our door. But when it comes to bank runs, solar is always going to maintain that constant cash flow. And bank runs does not stop that. So I think that this really puts us on a map to say, hold on now, there's different I I would say financial institutions or products that can be deployed into micro community solar companies like WeSolar to foster that growth that I wouldn't say protect us from a a complete financial collapse because solar is a very uh, complicated financial model. 70% of how you do solar comes down to the financing. But it's also signaling that, hey, why is this one bank being the majority of community solar financiers? We need to take a piece of that pie because it's consistent and also how it impacts communities of color and helping them be a part of the just transition and reaching the economic benefits.
2: So I'm hearing from all three of our guests that we're in a moment where this inflection point around what's happening with a specific part of banking does speak to some things happening in the system. But some of what it speaks to is where we've been neglected over the long run. I'm going to ask each of you to touch on the kinds of harm that our audience might recognize from, from the things that you are talking about. So as Black people, as Black, Indigenous, and people of color in this community, our community is very rarely seen as an asset. So taking into account the fact that Marilyn has just laid out why the system itself has some has some corrections that need to be made. Stefan has really helped us to think through what our alternatives might be. And Crystal is here supplying a vision. Can we talk about how this moment of changing headlines will affect what we need to do tomorrow and what you would like to see happening in climate and culture that the money runs through? So I'll kick it to Stefan to start. Then we'll go to Marilyn and Crystal.
0: Thank you for that. So what I what the first thing that I think about is The opportunity. We have an opportunity to chart a new path forward. I believe that we have an opportunity to surround ourselves around financial institutions who have not um, done the harm that these larger institutions have done. We have the ability to be able to have a have a say so, and not trading one oppressor for the next, right? Um, when I when I think about these these minority owned depository institutions, the black owned banks, I think about the fact that they have not been a part of the financing of these harmful industries. If and if we're honest about it. One is because they have not been big enough to be a part of those deal flows, right? And as there there is a movement uh, putting pressure on these larger financial institutions to say, um, no, like you have to stop financing these things. They're looking for new places to go. And and what we want to be able to do, and it, what we're doing through our our Bank Black and Green campaign at Hip Hop Caucus, is getting these institutions to sign a pledge to say that they won't be a part of that, and letting them know that if you have the courage. To be able to say that you want to operate in this regenerative economy that we all deserve to be able to live in, then there is impact investors. There's people with capital who are willing to be able to see to see what it takes to be able to do that. I believe that, like, you know, as black people, like we have not been seen as an asset, but I believe that there's an opportunity for us to be able to invest in the the black fintech companies around it, the black you know creators who are finding new solutions because, like, we've been boxed out of these systems. And what that looks like for me, I I believe that, obviously, divesting from entities that disproportionately harm our community, increase resources for frontline communities of color. Like I said, investing in Black fintech banks, and um, most importantly, centering storytelling like this around our people, right? Centering our people in the narrative that we want to um to in the future that we want to see.
2: So Marilyn, can you talk to us about what you'd like to see happening for finance, climate, and the culture and how those things are related? Knowing of course you're a global citizen, I still ask <laughs> yeah.
3: Yes. So I want to also follow up on I think two things that were recently said by both Crystal and Stefan. So we backed um, Optus Bank, which is an MDI headquartered in South Carolina, they're doing solar lending, they are increasing their portfolio in exactly this space, so it's happening. Um, we also backed the Clean Energy Federal Credit Union, and I will say they have had zero defaults since they have started. So to Crystal's point, like this is a solid asset class, This is good stuff. (laughs) essentially, so it makes financial sense. Um, and so let's, let's also, I mean, I'll take a little step back as well with just some of the, the the data, because in in terms of valuing black people, I mean, there's 47 million black people in the U S um, without 47, these 47 million people, the U S would collapse. Like, let's be very, (laughs) very straightforward with that. Um, The black buying power is over a trillion right U.S. dollars. So I I, I don't think anyone is delusional about um, the importance uh, of the of the the black community. Um, that being said, um, anti black discrimination and systemic racism is holding back the potential. So we we know about the study from City, um, pretty recent study that showed that since 2000, um, the U.S. GDP has lost. 16 trillion U.S. dollars as a result of specifically anti-Black discrimination. So, being so
2: makes you broke. I hear being racist can make you broke. Go for it.
3: <laughs> I love that. That's exactly right. And it's making the country broke. It's making everyone, everyone loses. It's kind of, it goes back to the Heather McGee, some of us research and, and book and analysis. I mean, everyone loses. So, um, it's it's just important to remind ourselves of this because I I also I think like the fellow um, guests I'm, I'm really on the solution side and 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 looking for moving that capital away from dirty polluting infrastructure right the fossil fuels the bad food the bad soil um, all of these things that are a part of the extractive economy towards a regenerative economy, towards an economy um, that uh, is regenerative and uh, builds wealth, community wealth, um, systemic wealth. And that is, I think one of the reasons why we backed as well, Bank for Good. So bankforgood.org is a campaign, a platform where anyone, any business can find aligned banks and credit unions. Based on your needs, whether you need or want a physical branch, whether you're a business or an individual, whether, you know, it's, it, it has all these filters, women led, indigenous led, black led, et cetera. Um, and so that is, I think, part of what we I think, need to lean into. Wow. I
2: feel uh, really excited to be here. I feel like we're with the Sugar Hill Gang of climate, finance and culture or uh, for my my elders, the fast, the furious five of how we're gonna make this work for ourselves because it turns out we've always been here. We've always been here doing this work. On a previous podcast, we talked about how it's difficult for our community to have conversations about capital because we have been the capital. So emerging out of a space where we have been what people use as equity to build, to rebuild, to raise and to re-raise everything that currently exists We are newer to this conversation than we need to be, even though we've always been in it. It has been really incredible and powerful to share this space with you. And I want to ask each of you very quickly to tell us, how can our audiences see your brilliance, follow you, and more importantly, move their money where you're going? Crystal?
1: Um, You can follow follow me on Instagram as well as LinkedIn at WeSola underscore energy. That's WeSola
3: underscore energy. Marilyn, how can folks find you? You can find me on LinkedIn at Marilyn Waite, W-A-I-T-E. Also my website at MarilynWaite.com with a lot of links and resources there for everyone. Stefan, you're a part of the family. How can folks find you if if they get lost in the streets?
0: You can find me every day at the Hip Hop Caucus. And and, and if you want to help me keep the conversation going, you can find me on my personal social media at Mo Stefan. that's M-O-Stefan, S-T-E-P-H-O-N-E, across all social media. And more, you can find me on LinkedIn as, um, as Stefan Coward II.
2: Thank you so much. I would like to thank each one of our guests. We could spend so much time just digging into how you work. So I'd like to On behalf of all the producers and our host, uh, Reverend Lennox Yearwood, ask you to come back and talk with us because this season, we're going to spend a lot of time talking about not how we work, not where we work, but why we work and what it looks like. So uh, this is your invitation to come back and visit us. Our guests today are Marilyn Waite, Managing Director of the Climate Finance Fund, Crystal Hansley, founder and CEO of We Solar, and Stefan Coward. Director of Economic Justice, among other titles, at the Hip Hop Caucus. My name is Tamara Tolles O'Laughlin, producer and today's host sitting in on The Coolest Show.
0: Like what you heard on this episode? Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Follow us at Think 100 Climate and at Hip Hop Caucus on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Visit show.com where you can take action for climate justice right now. You can also learn more about this podcast and donate to Think 100%, which is a non-profit project. Thank you for listening and all power to repeat. It's the coolest show you know. It's the coolest show you know.